Funding for Elwood City Limits is provided by, uh, I don't know, uh, me, I guess. doesn't really cost much. <laughs> and from viewers like you. Thank you. My free time. That's what funds us. <laughs> Welcome, welcome. Hello there. This is Elwood City Limits. You're in the right place. This is the Episodic Arthur Podcast. Thank you very much for listening once again. My name is Will Young, and uh, joining me on this romp through uh, our favorite children's television show is Lucas Mancini. Hello. So, Lucas, we've got ourselves a little bit of business before we get into uh, the episode today. That's right. We've got a couple of iTunes reviews to read off. Because I promised that if we were ever reviewed on iTunes, I would read them here in the podcast. And I forgot to do that a couple times. But now, not only am I going to do the two that we had by the end, by the beginning of this month, we also got a new one. And hey, the offer still stands. The best way to get the word out about our podcast, well, there's the Facebook page and sharing it and telling your friends. All, that's that's, great. all that stuff at the beginning, but yeah. one of the most important things is to hop onto iTunes subscribe and rate the podcast if you don't want to write a review you don't have to you could just rate it but that's the best way to help us get noticed by the itunes algorithm those mysterious tron-like robots that decide whether we become popular or fade into obscurity well i'm happy to say that right off the bat we have five five star ratings on itunes thank you everybody who uh, did that so i'm going to start this off with our first five star review from itunes user cameo man title Podcast is not actually a joke. This is a legitimate podcast about Arthur. It's not something based off of Arthur memes. These are hour-long episodes filled with discussions about the show. It's also very entertaining, so it's definitely worth a listen. Do you think it's cameo with a K, like he's talking about the original Xbox 360 launch game? I'm afraid not. It's, uh, it's with a C, so in the way it was intended to be used. Cameo Man, thank you very much. Our second review, that was on September the 1st, by the way. Second review came in a day later on September 2nd. Five stars, titled Having Fun Isn't Hard by Haruken. A hilarious and in-depth look into the early days of Arthur. Hopefully Good. we get to the later days sometime. For sure. It's going to be a little bit, little while. I can't wait to see how old we'll be when <laughs> that'll happen. And then our new one came in September 19th. And it's five stars from user HateBase. And it says, let's go, my dude. It starts off with great audio quality. Both hosts speak at a great volume and are both very well spoken. The audio clips that are spliced in are sometimes a little louder than expected. My apologies. I'm going to be working on that from uh, from here on in. Great content, interesting perspectives between both hosts. They both go very in-depth and bring up parts of the episodes that might often be overlooked. And then we have a very special sign-off here. I love you, Lucas. Good job. Oh, my goodness. Not only was that so nice... Uh, but that guy really knows what he's talking about. That, per- that got person, some yeah. Audio knowledge. That's right. Hate base could be a lady. Could, or yeah, for sure. So thank you, everybody. And of course, it doesn't have to be glowing to make it onto the podcast. But we do appreciate our iTunes reviews. All right, so let's get into it. This one, I kind of warned you the other day that this one could be proved to be our longest yet. But we'll have to wait and see because. I have a lot to say about particularly one half of this episode. So we've got Arthur goes to camp and Buster makes the grade. So noun, 
verbs. And uh, <laughs> noun verbs episodes. And if you would like to follow along and uh, fully get the Arthur experience, you can find these episodes in full on the internet by using Google. As always, maybe hop on that incognito mode. You don't want CSIS or the NSA knowing that you might be doing something. It's a little bit. The copyright holders, they don't like it. You didn't hear it from us. We, we do not support any way that you watch the show unless it is officially done through legal means. Legal means. All right, so Arthur Goes to Camp. That is our first episode. We're starting it off with a great line from Arthur. So Arthur's in the old swimming hole at camp, assumedly, and he is being assailed at all sides by water. And he says, he again, Ferris Buellering to the camera, and he says, you know why parents send their kids to camp? For punishment. <laughs> so, now do you agree with Arthur? I couldn't help but notice on your notes. Like I didn't I didn't look at them. I only saw the first thing, but I noticed that you have experience with camping, uh, Lucas. That's so, right. uh, that's I think that's a little bit different between the two of us. So, what are your experiences with camping? So, I love camping. I camped a lot with my dad as a mm-hmm. kid. But I've also gone to summer camps very similar like the ones that Arthur goes to in this episode with the log cabins and the leaders and Uh and the groups and teams. And it's an interesting contrast because I love camping with my dad. I love the freedom of it. You can do whatever you want. When you're hungry, you eat. When you're cold, you make a fire. Mm -hmm. There's something very freeing about that sensation, that type of camping. Simplicity, it sounds like. Uh, The opposite is true with organized summer camps. I hated them as a kid because... There were such strict rules. You have to be here at this certain time. You have to be doing this at this certain time. And also, I don't know, I'd like to think of myself as a people person, but being around everybody, it just it's hard living with people that you don't know very well. And I might have been a little bit more standoffish when I was a kid, so mm-hmm. I had difficulties with that. But I never really liked this form of camping, the log cabins and the kids and the bunk beds, that whole thing. It's not really been my shtick. How about yourself, Will? I hate camping <laughs> just in general the whole concept i've only ever had one experience with it and it was uniformly terrible it was i had to do it as part of a program for junior high it was my only time camping and i didn't have any i didn't have any friends there i was not experienced in camping and i didn't really get very much help so i don't like it like being outdoors sure it's great whatever <laughs> I'm, so convincing. Yeah, I'm too much of I'm too much of a homebody. I'm too I'm too much of an introvert. I like to stay inside and thankfully I'm in a relationship with someone now who completely agrees. We are not huge fans of camping. The closest I've done to camping even recently is I um stayed with my girlfriend's parents at their like um their RV site. So like so what some people call glamping, yeah. glam camping. So and it definitely was not roughing it in any sense. You're like my aunt who says her idea of camping is staying at a two star hotel. Word. No, exactly <laughs> right. So I don't have any experiences of camping. I think my sister uh, kind of did more of the organized camp thing. I did more like day camps uh, that were based out of where I lived. Yeah, I when don't like those either. I don't like all the structure. I'm a free spirit, Will. I guess so. Jeez. I'm learning a lot about you. So Arthur kind of takes us through, well, I guess what's meant to be the points against the camp. Uh, he starts off by saying, uh, talking about the the menu, and he holds up a hamburger and he says, "Looks like an ordinary hamburger, right? Wrong. It's a worm burger." And Monday, they serve macaroni and fleas. This seems a little bit uh, 
slanderous. It's very wet, hot American summer. Uh, this whole episode kind of is. It's sor- sort of a wet, high, hot American summer type, you know, the genre cre- cliche, summer camp. Fleas, they're high in protein. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen Snowpiercer, but insects are the future, man. Was it, what was it in Snowpiercer? Was it, it was cr- crickets? crickets. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But I just, I find Arthur's commentary here a little spurious. I, do, I don't quite believe that they would serve him. I think he's just kind of, I think he's projecting. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Uh, then Arthur's tent with Brain, Binky, and Buster, the three Bs, are ra- ravaged by the elements, not just... Uh, so mosquitoes who form giant hands to assail the tent, then come on guys, bug repellent. Come that on. yeah, That's it's their fault, right? Or mis- or like bug screens. Exactly. There's plenty of precautions they could have taken that I'm sure they did it. That tent's bigger than my apartment. <laughs> and then of course by the elements themselves, by the thunder, lightning, and uh, a tornado. Yeah. Which I, I which again a hard time believing that this actually happened. Well, we don't know what part of the world. We still don't know what part of the U.S. For yeah, sure, did. Elwood City Yeah, is we never in. figured that out, did we? And then, of course, Lucas, the scariest thing of all at summer camp, the girls. This is true. This <laughs> uh, this is the one thing in his description, the worm burgers, the, the elements, all that I disagree with. But, hey, it is the girls. At that age, it was the girls. Mm-hmm. Especially the forced social interaction. So, of course, gotten into your uh, camp camp experiences. So this is the this is going to be the setting. Arthur goes to camp. Let's do it. So his parents are seeing him off. Give him a big stack of postcards that are pre pre uh, pre stamped and whatnot. Pretty easy. They want him to write them every single day. Yeah. And I'm wondering. I guess if it's a summer camp, is Arthur going to be here for three months, or is he here for like a few weeks? It seems weird because. I have I have a note about that oh, okay. as as we go along, and I feel like all will be answered. Then, of course, DW not not missing an opportunity to get Arthur's goat or goat person uh, runs out of the house saying, "You almost forgot your bionic bunny underwear," which gets quite a few giggles from the from the girls. Arthur chastises her, but also immediately swipes them away. So just like ah. She did get you. you I would did have guessed Arthur was a boxer's man, but nope. They're the. Uh... I wasn't a boxer's man until I was biologically a man. You know what? I agree I... with you. When I was a child, when I was Arthur's age, definitely not a boxer's man. So. No, definitely not. You have to grow into and that. I had some branded underwear as well, Scooby Doo, and I liked them so much. The problem with branded underwear is the logo is always on the back, mm-hmm. and I. This is so weird. But I, I liked seeing the picture, right? Because that's the whole point. You want to look at the picture. And no one sees you in your underwear except for yourself. Mm. So I would always wear them backwards because <laughs> I wanted to look at the picture of Scooby-Doo. I had Power Rangers uh, undies. Oh, that's dope. I can't, I can't imagine wearing briefs anymore. That sounds like the most uncomfortable. Oh, no, yeah, no. I mean, I'm a... I'm a I'm Maybe a, unless they're me undies. I'm a, I'm a wide set man. And <laughs> I can't... My body can't take that anymore. Um. So on the way, on the way there, you know, Arthur's seated with Francine, of course, one of his best friends, and then Bicky calls him over, um, to say to to note that once they get to camp, and even before then, it's boys against girls. Which, to Arthur's credit, he immediately questions. He says why. To which Binky says, "That's a baby question." <laughs> Again, baby. The favorite slur of Arthur characters. Mm-hmm. The one thing they don't want to be the most. And, and of course, Binky kind of holding up the uh, the, si- the systematic uh, 
Sexism. Sexism of boys against girls for no real reason. He has no reason. He just says because. Binky, like, it's always alluded to that Binky has this knowledge because he's done the third grade twice. Yeah, he, right? he's, so he's a year older. A lot of times it's funny because Binky's often portrayed as kind of a dumb character. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times characters will look to him for guidance because he is literally older. So he's had all this life experience. Well, we the see other kids have. and we see that later in the ep- in, in the next episode for sure. So Binky wants to get at one of the girls with uh, grade A industrial strength itching powder. Now, the two words that should be <laughs> the most worrisome in that phrase are industrial strength. Yeah, that leads me to believe this is like riot control itching powder. You know what I mean? Like militarized Why police. Why would you control force. a riot with itching powder? I don't know. What else do you need industrial itching powder for except to like dispel a crowd? Oh, I'm lightheaded. That was great. Riot control. The prisoners, they're getting loose. Spread the itching powder. <laughs> go, go, go. Get the fake spiders. Scare <laughs> them back in. Whoopee cushions. Stack. <laughs> So the industrial strength itching powder goes wrong, and I mean it wears off by the time the bus the bus ride is over. So it must not be that bad. On on the way there to their camp, which is Camp Meadow Croak, they pass by an enemy camp, which is called Camp Horsewater, or if you read the sign, Equi Aqua. I didn't see that. That's so clever. It's no, it's not. It doesn't oh. make any. It doesn't make any sense. E- equestrian. Uh, Water, aqua. Oh. But, Equiaqua, but, but, horse but, water. But, oh, my God. Are you having a moment? Oh, man. Man- mankind means the same thing as dude love? Mm. <laughs> Been wondering about that since I was a kid. <laughs> horse water, equia. Oh, my God. Oh, man. Revelations here on the podcast. We're like, all learning. Today. This is why we're doing it, though. Exactly. Like, I wonder, this, like, equiaqua, what the heck? What does that mean? That's just nonsense. (laughs) Man, oh, man. This is great. I'm so glad I brought that up. Anyway, Camp Horsewater, Equiaqua, a.k.a. the Camp of Professional Wrestlers. That's right. 25-year-olds. Yeah. Lifting weights. Dude, more jacked than I've ever been (laughs) in my adult or teen life. These are some Mr. Olympia-looking eight-year-olds. I'll tell you that much. They uh, saying the next bunch of pipsqueaks have arrived (laughs) and then menacing them from afar. Goodness gracious. They should hire USADA, the guys that caught Lance Armstrong, (laughs) to monitor this camp. I'll tell you, especially if they want to regulate these upcoming competitions that are happening between the camps. There might be some doping going on. Could be. You don't know what's in that horse water. Exactly. (laughs) Don't even know what it's called in my case. Um, So when they get off the bus at their camp, the instructor says, I will be your camp counselor for the week. So I'm to understand that this is a week away camp. So to answer your previous question, Arthur's mother gave him postcards to mail every day for a week. And she gave him like 50. I was going to say this brings up numerous issues. For one, the most (laughs) pressing thing is that means the timeline in this episode makes no sense because there's going to be parts coming up 
where Arthur's parents are reading the letters from him, mm. which is just downright improbable. Unless Arthur's paying for next day Amazon shipping on these letters, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. It would take longer than a week for any of these to reach his parents. Plus, there's also like 50 letters. Unless, unless he uh, did did like in. Uh uh, Camp Krusty, where he bribed a horse horse uh, mail carrier with uh, with a bottle of bourbon to get to get at their post haste. Yeah, there's only two. There's three <clears throat> possibilities here: either the the horse bourbon, or <laughs> Kevin Costner from the Postman. <laughs> Postman Kevin Costner is personally delivering these, <laughs> or his parents installed an Amazon Dash button in their home that they can press whenever they want to receive a Arthur letter. By the end of the day. I'm sorry. I love horse bourbon. Like, I know what you mean, but horse like. Horse bourbon, horse water. Sounds like. It's a horse noun episode. Yeah. Horse nouns all over the place. Uh, but keep in mind, this is the 90s. Amazon wasn't really too much of a thing. True. I was going to suggest drone, but we are far away from that. Anyway, you're right. Raises a lot of questions. So they park inside their roomy tents, as I said, bigger than my apartment. So we kind of get a preview of what. Binky and the other guys have in mind for their pranks on the girls, which they are determined. Uh, Binky excitedly has more than industrial strength itching powder. He has uh, stink bombs, lined up mice, and all that sort of Jack's Joke Shop style pranks. I wrote here, Binky has numerous illegal artifacts. (laughs) They obviously don't frisk the kids on their way through the camp. Well, speaking of frisking the kids, you've got this kind of... I want to say more innocent kind of monkey shines. They're not. They're obviously meant to annoy instead of you know hurt or anything or harm. Sure. And then they look outside, and attached to the flagpole is their underwear. So we're talking about relic, quote unquote, harmless pranks versus the girls who invaded their privacy. I don't want to turn this again. Like I don't want to turn this into a boys versus girls of our own because unfortunately. On this podcast, girls are outnumbered two to none. But at the same time, I don't feel good about the fact that those girls kind of stepped over. The habitual line steppers they have proven to be. T-E-U, tactical espionage underwear. These girls (laughs) pulled some Sam Fisher business because this all happens. We're in the boys' tent, this scene where Binky's showing off his all of his tricks and, and pranks. Ayla, the Matrix, just a wall of mm-hmm. flowers that'll spray water in your face. And then the girls, unforeseen, sneak in, steal all their undergarments, and put them up on the flagpole. Very impressive. Not only that they could climb the flagpole, but they did this all undetected. Yes, indeed. It, like Impressive, for sure, but also a little bit much. And so this uh, Arthur's goat, gotten for a second time in this episode, as he marches out and yells in Francine's face, I hope you know this means war, in his uh, best Daffy Duck uh, uh, embodiment. That's right. The girls, I guess, in the end, after Binky was planning all this stuff, the girls shot the first shot. And then it leads to one of the biggest laughs I had in this episode. And so, like you said, his parents receiving these postcards pretty quickly. It goes to Arthur in the tent on the first night, and the postcard back home is day one. Dear Mom and Dad, it's war, and that's it. <laughs> it's 
Can you imagine receiving that from your kid at summer camp? It was just day one, dear mom and dad, it's war. And then you're just like, what happened? Are we in a Red Dawn situation? What's happening at my camp? So the narrative device for this episode, unlike the other episodes where some have been like self-narrated, like noir kind of things, this episode's kind of like a 1940s war film where it's all, it's Arthur's messages to his parents are like, oh, our boy's in blue on the coast. Like, Yeah, he he has he has one in just a little in just a little bit here, like as the there's a montage of the boys getting schooled at every competition and prank war so far. And then it goes to Arthur and Brain in a tent, to which he says, I can't tell you where I'm writing from. It's a secret. Just get me out of here. <laughs> and I'm very, like, well, yeah, exactly. So he's he's ex- he's expecting that their message could be uh could be seized by the enemy mid transit. So he can't reveal his coordinates. And when we see Arthur's family reading these letters, his mom, his dad, and D.W., they're weirdly amused by the whole thing. Mm. Like, like we all did this at camp. Well, the, but they're smiling, and they, like, think it's, it, it's, it's a weird vibe to me. Because, like, Arthur's literally only – the experience of camp should be being one with nature, having fun in the woods, having fun with your friends. He literally only writes them about this competitive war with mm. the other sex. It's kind of strange that his parents are so into it. And speaking of and speaking of war, like the nature of this competition is kind of um, is a little odd to me. So it's very cerebral. So in that in that uh, in that tent scene with Arthur and Brain, they leave a skunk outside of their tent and they reenact the end of Inside. If you've played that game, and they run away in the tent. So I'm kind of wondering, like, a is Arthur having fun at this? Like, is this fun or not? And the other thing is that like there's a scene where. The boys are chasing after Francine, and like then they they get like they fall in the trap, and you know they get they get dunked on by the girls. And I'm just wondering, like, what's the nature of the competition here? Like, were they were they trying to catch her? Like, I'm always kind of afraid that in this situation, there's like an undercurrent of like implied physical violence if like the boys catch the girls. Well, a tiger trap is super dangerous. When you fall that far without knowing you're going to fall, there's a very high chance that you're going to break something. Sure. I mean, that's what a tiger trap is meant for. It's meant to trap a tiger, uh, right? So it could cause damage. So hence, hence the name Tiger Trap. Uh, exactly. It's interesting because Arthur sets up this episode saying he doesn't like camp. Sure. And I think Arthur's sort of – his hand's been forced here. He's a, a – Conscientious, uh, conscientious, conscientious objector. That's right. Uh, initially, he's he tells aggressive. Binky he doesn't see like he's friends with the girls. Francine, as we've established, is his second best friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't think he sees the same hard lines that Binky does. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. But the girls forced his hand. They put that underwear up there. So I think Arthur's acting like he thinks he should. It's another episode where Arthur's sort of fitting in. You know what I mean? Everybody else is all gung-ho to fight the girls. They forced Arthur's hand. I think he's just going to do this. But I think deep down, he doesn't really want this competition. You know, you're really ma- to work together. You're really making me think about this. This is like perhaps deep down, this was the Arthur writer's anti... This was their platoon. This was their spec ops the line of anti-war statements. Arthur, their- Arthur's just following orders. He's doing what's expected of him. And he's, they're only escalating. It's the Arthur version of the Butter Battle Book. The what? The, it's the what? I'm Dr. Sorry? Seuss story that's actually all about communism. The Butter Battle Book. Look it up. It's Dr. Seuss's darkest tale by far. Basically, I'll give this quick synopsis, quick aside. The Who's build a wall, 
and there's a wall between the Who's that like to put butter on their bread a certain way, and the Who's on the oh, other side yeah, want to put butter before. on their bread another way. The book is so dark because basically it's another story of escalation. They talk about the boys in the back have cooked up something to get it over the other side of the wall. Uh, that book ends with Who's balancing on the wall, dropping these beans that are going to like explode if they hit the ground. And it ends like it cuts before a concrete ending where they're both balancing, both about to drop their beans, and then hard cut. We don't know how the butter battle book ends. Is it just mutually assured destruction between the Who's? Luckily, spoilers, the war between the boys and the girls in this Arthur episode doesn't get this far. Certainly not. But hey, war is hell, Will. It's true. War War is heck. War is hell. War is duty. All of that stuff. Anyway, back to lighter topics like kids reading scary comics together. I think that's pretty cute. So the hundred and a thousand and thirty six of them to be exact. The oh, is that's that's how many brain yeah, brought with him? He brought his whole collection. His collection. One thousand and thirty six uh, comics. Amazing. Um, I I don't know. I just think I just think kids reading comics together is pretty cute. Uh, so this part kind of, you know, keep it a little bit uh, recent. It uh, they start to hear these weird noises in the woods and it's a little bit of Arthur meets Blair Witch before Blair Witch the Blair Witch project even happened so Arthur gets to have a little bit of his own experience of that of that uh, because they hear a bunch of noises in the woods and they're beginning to get scared off and uh, of course the scary comics aren't helping um, they go outside and they're of course they think they immediately think it's the girls but then they spot uh, animal tracks and they check the comic book, and it's the same tracks that the monster in the comic book is making. But my question is, the tracks that they see in their reality are bear tracks. The monster in the comic is a slime monster, the mutant creature of the slime. How does slime make bear tracks exactly? I, I wrote this down, too. It's really confused. Like... I guess I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Like, if the slime monster can fill any form he wants, similar to gelatin, maybe he could make his feet the shape of bear tracks if he wanted to. It really doesn't make that much sense, though. It also doesn't make that much sense that they're scared of a bear. It's this whole thing again, the animal hierarchy. Hashtag animal (laughs) hierarchy. I, I know, I'm sorry, I keep bringing it up now. I didn't didn't think about it that. But they're all scared of a bear. Arthur. You've met bears. Brain's a bear. Brain, you are a bear. What is going on here? Actually, we're... You are sleeping. You want to see where the bear is? You're sleeping next to one. He's the one that gave you the 1,036 comics. And weirdly enough, Brain the bear later on pretends to be a bear. Oh, man, this is... This is 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 messing with me. This is messing with me Levels upon levels. Oh, man. A bear within a bear. Oh, my God. We have to go deeper. All right. So I can't bear it any longer. Uh, So they meet up with the girls who confirm that it is not them who are making the noises. And then they come across uh, the main three goons of Camp Horsewater who are making the tracks and spooking them uh, to try just try and intimidate them, I guess. Um, So Arthur comes up with an idea to get back at them on the eve of the scavenger hunt. Which they have set up earlier as, you know, the winning camp will get the scavenger hunt trophy, which has never happened because Camp Horsewaters won it three years in a row. Not just an idea, a stupendous surefire plan. Yes, his, you're absolutely right. It's Arthur realizes this can't fail. 
And so he decides the only way that they can do it is if they call a truce, which which made me realize no wonder that they've never won the uh, the uh, the trophy because they've always instigated this this BS war between the boys and the girls. And perhaps it was a maybe it was a camp horsewater sleeper agent <laughs> that seed that that sowed the seeds of war between the boys and the girls to assure their destruction and Camp Horsewater's domination of the trophy. It was a proxy war, an equi aqua funded coup. Man, there's some political intrigue going on in this episode. I was joking earlier when I said uh, tactical espionage underpants, but that really should be what this episode should be called. Oh, there's going to be so many options to name this episode. <laughs> they decide to put their differences together and work together if they want to overcome Horsewater, the real enemy. Fight the real enemy, as Sinead would say. So they decide to go for the scavenger hunt, and they're immediately kind of uh, overtaken by these he-men and she-women of Camp Horsewater. Who it's are not just, just the kids, though. Uh, at the start of the scavenger hunt, you could see the Horsewater leader. He looks like the bunny version of Ivan Drago. He's a living muscle, that man. <laughs> that that dog, whatever he is. Uh, i got to say, some sweet goon laughs from the Horsewater crew. There's a great one from the lead bunny of just whenever they miss out on the balloons. And he's just like, I've got it, sucker. <laughs> like a real sort of Hamburglar-type laugh. It's great. Like, just really gooning it up. Downright maniacal. Uh, so they're on the losing end. Essentially, the enemy's got the payload to 99%, and they're just trying to keep it in overtime until they can uh, push push back. I love this whole scene. Like, it's really well-paced. Like, there's a, a, a an urgency to everything, and it's cut really quickly. Uh, like, joke after joke after joke. And the Horsewater kids are so cartoonishly evil. It's awesome. For sure. In fact, as they begin to put the plan to action, they have their own chant. Oh, the ch- bars. And the chant goes as such, we're number one, we're number one, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's it's straight, I'm trying to think what rapper that reminds me of. It's straight out of a rap ad lib. Just, yeah, yeah. The early 2000s. Like, they're rolling with 50. I'll have to take your word for it. Uh, so, of course, their plan is to make the Horsewater kids think that there is a bear about. They've dressed Brain up in the previously established mink fur coat that Muffy arrived to the camp with because, of course, the joke is, haha, she's rich. So he's covered with it and, you know, still with his pants and his shoes on pretending to be a bear. And then their plan is for the Horsewater kids to go up into the tree and then they will say, scare him away, throw something at him. And they will throw every single valuable on them only for Brain to catch and for him to cross the finish line with. This plan's stupid. <laughs> I hate this plan. It's sort of a Rube Goldberg No, plan. it's No, it's not. Because Rube Goldberg has an outline. This, re- this revolves around so much... Like, there's a lot of points of failure. There's a lot of points of failure, and really the fact that it went off the way it did is a modern miracle. Because you have to assume that they would all go up the tree. You would assume that they would all, you know, it's Arthur yelling, throw something at him, and they wouldn't just be like, no, they'll just, well, I'll just wait till it goes away or something. Or, like, call for help or whatever. And then, like, playing into their hand in a degree that you would only get in a children's cartoon, the lead bull- the lead bully from Horsewater says, hey, that bear's an awfully good catch. Something fishy is going on here. And then keeps throwing stuff at him. 
and then they just manage to teleport Brain to the to the waypoint and then get him past the finish line. It's it's dumb. I I, I think it's, it's counterpoint. So the plan was stupendous and surefire. Arthur said it himself, and it turned out it worked. I'll give you surefire. I'm not giving you stupendous. <laughs> Let's meet in the middle here. I'll it meet was, you halfway. It was at least one of those things. It's funny because you remember now that these kids, though they might look like 30-year-old bodybuilders, are <laughs> 8-year-olds because they're fooled by this headless mink coat. Or like 10 at the most. Still, I think when I was 10, I could tell the difference between a, a bear attacking me and a headless mink coat. It's the farthest thing from a bear I could think of. It's just vaguely furry. It looks more like it from the Adams family. Looks like more of a bear costume you get out of an exploitation movie. Like, I guess on if they the cheap. cut the head off, there's no head. Anyway. It's just a, I don't know. An undead bear. Now that's scary. <laughs> Zombie headless bear. Well, if they sold it like that. I but, think I saw that on the sci-fi network. But they didn't. So they get across the line. Arthur gets a last minute Hail Mary because the last thing is a postcard. and He's got one in his pocket. They win the trophy. Yeah, he's got about 49 extra ones. <laughs> didn't have to go far. Uh, so everybody says three cheers for Arthur. And a line I actually liked was Arthur saying three cheers for us. We're a team. And so it's just a nice little good one, Arthur. You could have taken that. You could have taken the glory for yourself, but you didn't. So you know what? Good, good on you. Uh, and so the episode ends with them celebrating, and then of the final postcard to his family that Arthur says, "Camp is great. I can't wait to come back next year." And this is actually the first mention where we get Arthur's sister's name, we so, because he says, "Dear Mom, Dad, D.W. and Kate." I remember when I saw this when I was a kid, and I was like. Who's Kate? <laughs> and I and I immediately assumed it must be his aunt because I have an aunt who's named Kate. Infallible logic. Sure, but of course that's his biggest. Much like Arthur's plan. His 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 uh, somewhat yet to be named baby sister Kate. And that's and that's that episode. So uh, Arthur goes to camp, and we go from that into now a word from us kids. So this one is all about stuff that they would bring to camp, Pre- keeping it pretty simple. Just a nice little uh, uh, drawing experiment where they all have a piece of paper with like a, a briefcase handle on it, and you know what they would bring to camp. So uh, not too much to say about this one. Uh, we'll say that the host that they have, the little girl named Sasha, is very good. She's very animated. Uh, they they really picked a good kid uh, to represent the class. But a couple of the, a couple of things I liked uh, from what they. Uh, put in there was one of the kids says that she would bring a picture of my family in case I forget what they look like. Maybe she was taking a uh, camping trip to the past back to the future style <laughs> and so she needed the picture to see if her parents would fade away if she changed anything. Well we may as well be talking about science fiction because we get no less than three portable TVs that kids are taking to which I was like when I was their age I was like portable TVs exist? And they could just take them. They have one to take with them? I was picturing, like, the PlayStation 1 that had the screen included. <sighs> Buddy, you're talking beyond the price range of a six-year-old here. Uh, what's funny is, like, the editors of Now Word From Us Kids, they walk such a fine line of getting a little bit of humor out of the segment without making fun of the kids. They always laugh with them, not at them. Yeah. Like, I think what they were trying to do here, because they cut back to back to back of all the kids saying they want a portable TV. Yes. And I think the message is, is, oh, isn't it funny? These kids are camping. 
but they still want to watch like their sure. TV shows. But it's not really making fun of the kids. It's laughing no. with them. It's like, oh, look at this silly thing. And no, I think it's, it's really like well done. Kids, kids in the 90s love TV. So. One kid wants to bring a boombox, and I want to hang out with that kid. He's <laughs> sort of the uh, uh, Radio Rahim of this, this third grade class. By, by the way, speaking of that, um, I want to share with you the great joke that I had of because one of the – one of the movies we watched for my film minor in university was Do the Right Thing. And so my friend and I were at the screen the screening and spoilers ahead for Do the Right Thing. It's a great movie. Spoiler. Um is when Radio Rahim gets his uh gets his boombox destroyed in the pizza joint, I turned to my friend and I said, No, now he's just regular Rahim. <laughs> that is all right. I'm gonna have to steal that. I'm I'm very proud of that joke. Please Please cite me if you use that joke. Hashtag regular Rahim. Regular <laughs> And then at the end they do some Dear Arthur letters about kind of what they learned from their exercise or whatever. You know, cute, uh, cute enough. It's uh, you know pretty by the numbers and now word from us kids. And now back to Arthur. So we go to the second episode, and I'm sure you must have loved this one. Buster makes the grade, and not just this episode, but this opening, which is Buster Monkey Shines at their finest. We are at peak Buster here. So Buster's whole character is he's essentially, especially in these scenarios, he's the class clown, right? He doesn't want to focus on his academics. He's just trying to have a good time. For sure. And one of the ways he does this is he makes all these funny faces in class. Every time Buster makes a face, there's Foley work. Yeah, there's a sound effect. Buster's like... The contortions his face makes it just kind of goes spring, spring, like it's like, yeah, yeah. like yeah, all this, all he's that very weird stuff. Talented too. Yeah, I have no idea how he's doing that. Uh, so the many ways that Buster before a test, you know, Arthur kind of punted it up a little bit in his Ferris Bueller way, just like you know, Buster staying on top of his homework. He's sleeping on top of a bunch of books. He likes to bounce ideas off his friend. He's friends. He's throwing paper balls at kids in the class. And Buster likes to get the most out of what he's reading. But and so this this one I loved as a kid and I love now. Buster's got a hollowed out book in the library filled with Cheetos. Genius. Especially because he picked Cheetos, because bacteria doesn't recognize them as food, they'll never go bad. Maybe a tad stale, but he could leave that book hidden. He's probably got books hidden all over the city with various non-perishables. He's got Cheetos and different area codes. The apocalypse. I thought that was funny. I think it was funny too. You didn't laugh. You gotta leave that in. Uh huh. Uh, uh, It'll crash and burn on its own. I laughed on the inside. But fair enough. I want to point out if the apocalypse reaches Elwood City, Buster's the guy to go to. He's prepared. He's got to be on your team as long. The brain. He'll be the brains of the operation. Buster. He's got Twinkies stashed all over the place. He's picking foods that won't go bad, and it's hidden in all these convenient areas. Buster Baxter, private eye. He knows a thing about uh, operating on the other side of the law. Exactly. You can't be a good detective without knowing a little bit about the other side. Of course, this revolves around the fact that Buster is a bit of a goof-off, which means that he doesn't exactly get down to the hard studying. So we start the episode with the kids getting a test back. And I, I, I liked how, you know, Mr. Ratbird's kind of got a comment for every one of them that he gives back. You know, it's like, Miss Frensky, superb. Miss Crosswire, not bad. Mr. Reed, review those multiplication tables. And then gets to Buster, and it's just, Buster. And it's just like, you know what I, you know what this means. <laughs> it, it, it's it, great. No, I, I thought that was a very subtle. You know, Mr. Ratbird can be savage sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, in previous episodes, he's talked about things are illegible. He or, is, no, that's that's this episode. Oh, that's yeah, later yeah. on this episode, which which is something I noted as well. No, he's uh, he's very he can be very candid when he wants to be, but I think 
as in Arthur's spelling trouble. I think it's because he expects great things out of these kids, and uh, he's not the kind of man you want to disappoint. He's no nonsense. No, for sure. Well, at this point, he'll, he'll definitely get more nonsense as we go on. And I, and I long for those days. So at the end of class, he uh, calls Buster into Principal Haney's office where his mother and gra- and grandmother are present. And I looked at this and just like, like what, is he going to be executed? Like, to bring his next of kin in, and it's just to tell him that he's failing. Like, why? His mom, I understand. His grandma? Hey, they they act like he's being executed, though. One of them breaks out crying, sobbing. His mother. And I guess... Maybe his maybe his mother brought along his grandmother for emotional support. Uh, she's rather rather fragile, is Bitsy Baxter. I find Mr. Haney so funny. I I, I was gonna say I love the subtle humor in this scene because uh, Mr. Haney's got like two things in his hand. He's got a lollipop and a Kleenex, and he mixes them up. He offers a lollipop to the to Buster's crying mother and a Kleenex to Buster, and I just really appreciated that physical gag. Yeah, Mr. Or Haney, sight gag, I should especially say. in later episodes, but he's kind of portrayed as like a dimwit. It's, mm-hmm. it's a good because like Mr. Ratburn is a great authority figure, but Mr. Haney's he's a cartoon. He's like the dimwitted principal who can't seem to do anything right. Uh, it's just a fun character. He's like if you've ever seen Oz, he's like the Warden Glynn to uh, Ratburn's McManus. I haven't seen Oz, but I get what you're getting at. Sure, I gotta watch Oz. You do gotta watch Oz. Buster says that the the crux of the meeting was that if he doesn't get his grades, if he doesn't get at least a B on the next test, he will miss the fourth grade, which is b- bad news for his friends because they don't want to leave him behind. Which is, of course. A big worry when you're a kid. You don't want to be left behind a grade. I had a friend who was graded up in, in primary. So what? Yes, very much so. And uh, I, I don't recall if any of my friends didn't make the grade. I don't remember. But it's, but it's tough, like it's, especially in that social situation, like to be left behind from all your friends and have to basically start over and with the handicap against you of uh, – Having to, you know, it's, it's like, oh, that's the kid who failed last year. I'm, that must be really tough. It's definitely difficult news to wrestle with. Mm. But uh, Buster kind of lets his friends down a little bit easy when he's giving them this speech because he's telling them that if he doesn't do well on this test, he won't be able to yes. advance. Yeah. But he gives this weird Mr. Haney impression. Again, another example of this show having. I think I think it was I, more of a Ratburn impression from the kind of deepness of the voice. But it's another example of adults. Portraying kids. Portraying adults. Portraying adults, which, again, if you've ever tried to do yourself, it's a very difficult not, vocal exercise. Not, not easy. You're, so, you know what? That's a great point. I'm glad you said that. Good on Buster. Yeah, for sure. This line of dialogue is how I discovered that America had 50 states, because Buster says he can barely name the 30 states of America, to which Muffy corrects him and says there are 50 states. That's how I learned as a kid that America had 50 states. Just how Arthur goes, how will we go to the fourth grade without you? It's true. It's 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 a it's a big heartbreaker to them, and it's, it really throws their world into a bit of chaos. The next scene at the Sugar Bowl was interesting because it's it's Arthur, Francine, and Muffy who are kind of the main three of this episode behind Buster, and so Buster walks in downtrodden, and then there's a couple of the the background characters sitting at the counter, and one of them who later gets a character, Jenna. Uh, but the, and then there's like the other two, like the gray rabbits, like whatever whatever his name is. 
And they're just like, hey, Buster, how's it going? Grab a stool. And he's like, hey, gang. And I'm like, hey, hey, gang, who's who, who's who's hey, gang here? Like, who's who's the gang? Who are we talking about a gang here? It's Buster's bizarro friends. Right. His, his B friends, I guess. These are who he's hanging out with when Arthur and Francine and Muffy are busy studying. I guess These so. are the delinquents he's chilling with. <laughs> the Grey Rabbit's shown up enough that we need a name for him. I'm thinking Watership Down. Okay. So, like, um, oh, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I don't, I didn't, I didn't read Watership Down. B-Rabbit? It's an eight-mile mm, reference. Yeah, two on the nose. Two on the nose. Donnie Tarko? Uh, let's leave that open for a little bit because. Hey, the- if you have an idea what we should call the background Grey Rabbit, ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. Yeah, and uh, he's he ain't going anywhere, so we're going to be seeing him quite a bit, whatever his name is. Maybe there's a canon name. Maybe they had a name for him. I'd love to know. They say, I don't know if Buster's ever going to get out of third grade, and Arthur's imagination runs away with that, and we get a flash forward to a 41-year-old Buster still in the third grade, still pulling tricks behind old man Ratburn's back. <laughs> A gray-haired and cane, uh, a cane-using Mr. Ratburn, who asks him the question: If a boy in third grade is eight years old, how old will he be if he repeats it thirty-three times? Which is a great little uh, addition problem for a youngster. Which means Buster is forty-one years old in third grade. Well, and I'll get more into this later. But yeah. a big subject of this episode is that buster sort of struggles with academics and i think you can come to the conclusion that he might have adhd or some sort of learning disability could I think be that's pretty apparent uh and i find a lot of things in buster that are very similar to myself like this third grade level addition problem i needed a calculator okay. to figure out and even then i wrote here buster's either 41 or 42 in this fantasy. Early, so even my math was a little Early wrong. 40s, let's say. You know, I was never terribly great in math either, but I just have weird systems of mental math in my head. So I just, uh, and I think I figured that one out when I was a kid. I think I probably did that on the calculator too. So his friends decide to help him, which I think is great. It really shows kind of their, their metal and how much they're invested in Buster is that they want to help him get to the fourth grade because they don't want him to be left behind. Uh, so I really like that moment. Arthur gets the idea... Again, Binky, the uh, a source of wisdom for them because he's the only one that they know who's repeated the third grade. To which Arthur kind of butters him up by saying, "You gives him kind of the doe eyes and says, well, Binky, if uh, if we were looking for anybody who knew something about repeating the third grade, it was you." And yeah, then to which Binky receives that as a point of pride. Yeah, it's a kind of a backhanded compliment. Oh, it's very it's not even a compliment. It's just Arthur gussying up basically an insult. Binky though, again, playing the wise old man sage. Mm-hmm. A act for as much as his intelligence is questioned. Yes. Binky has turned out to be a fountain of knowledge so far. D- Binky's a layered character, as we'll find out. This is also how I discovered the definition of the word tutor. I'd never heard the word tutor when I was a kid before Binky explained what it is. It's a private teacher. So I was just like, well, that that makes sense. Okay, I know what a tutor is now. So they decide that they need to find him a tutor. Like kind of what you said about Buster maybe having some form of, let's say, ADD instead of uh, ADHD. just kind of says, tutor sounds like a great idea. Anyway, we're going to the park, with some, which is some other schmucks. <laughs> There's a great line here. Uh, again, Binky, very funny. Uh, Arthur says, are you guys thinking what I'm thinking? And Binky says, we just pound him? <laughs> <laughs> Binky, uh, listen. 
I'll defend Binky to my deathbed, but he's he sort of got a one-track mind. Most problems can be solved by physical violence. His problem-solving skills need a little bit of work. So first off, Arthur takes it upon himself to try and get Ar- uh, Buster to uh, uh, study the more literary stuff. It's a... Uh, uh, His name is Arthur Reed. It's true. Arthur visits him, like wakes him up in the morning and gets him to study. Greets uh, Buster's mom at the door. Yeah. And Buster's mom goes, oh, Buster, your tutor's here. Buster springs out of bed almost in horror, thinking that an actual licensed, I don't know if you need to be, li- you probably don't need to be Well, yeah. Anyway, he's thinking some sort of adults invaded his home and is going to force him to learn. Much to his surprise and glee, it's Arthur. And he says to Arthur, Oh, you got one over on my mom. We can still make it to the park, which, hey, now, it looks like you were sleeping in a little now bit. I wanted, now, I wanted to note this here because it would be really easy for Buster to be, like, inattentive. Like, we, we realize that he's inattentive to studying. Um, and it would be very easy with the type of character he is to be like, oh, great, now I have more time to eat or read comics or play video games. But in this entire episode, when Buster wants to goof off, he's doing so by being physically active. Like he says, if we hurry, we can make it to the park before the game starts. So it's like, they're going to go play kickball. They're going to go play baseball. They're going to go play sports. So if there's any good to come of this, it's that Buster, if he's being inattentive, it's because he is focusing more on physical recreation instead of uh, learning, which of course uh, is a pro can be a problem, but it's at least a better problem than if he was just like vegging out inside. Maybe instead of getting high marks, He's going for that kickball scholarship. Well, which is funny because he's... Duke is scouting for Buster. To... He's he's never been like a particularly sporty character either. It's just just kind of the old kind of 90s childhood thing of like, if you didn't have a Nintendo, you were going outside to play. Or like if you didn't like to read. So a great shot here. Uh, Buster uh, Arthur says, get your books. We're going to study. And it's a great shot of... A Hitchcock zoom of did you did you ever I, I wrote the the vertical the, the vertigo ver- zoom yeah the, hit, that exact the, the Hitchcock trick. zoom of uh, physically pulling the camera back while zooming in forward and the room warps behind Buster he says study <laughs> he really reaches the higher octaves of his voice because like I didn't know Buster's voice could go that high true horror. Study! Uh, and of course, as soon as they get down to the books, Buster's falling asleep. Which is just kind of how his inattentiveness, like learning makes him drowsy. And it's kind of, he, falling asleep is one of the big traps of Buster, uh, Buster's uh, learning. So it seems that Buster is much more of a hands-on learner. He would probably benefit a lot more from something like later on in life, community college or like, um, what, do, what do you call it in high school when you get the... Um, like a co-op. Co-op, yeah. yes. Uh, like, not to say that he's necessarily doomed to a trade or anything, but he might find something more value in, like, physical-type stuff. We've also seen in the last episode, he tends to burn the midnight oil, maybe trying to crack some case when he's on his detective grind. Could be. Uh, Buster keeps falling asleep, and, he's, and he cites that it's the room that's making him sleepy, and they decide to study outside. So unfortunately, they study outside beside a baseball game, and Buster can't help but getting into the game more than his studying. And... It's, you know, Arthur says, Buster, you're not paying attention. He said, sure I am. He was safe. <laughs> and so uh, Buster says, it's so hard to keep my eyes on the page, and then suggests Arthur read to him. So he does. He begins to read to him Alice in Wonderland, but then Buster is long gone, and he is 
chirping the umpire of this kid's baseball game. What do you mean? He was safe. I wish we actually got to see the play because I want to know who was right. Was the umpire right or did he make a bad call and it was Buster's mm. keen eyesight that brought it to the forefront? So they, uh, so Arthur kind of gives up in that regard. And then the next idea they get is because of the fact that Buster is so often focused on food. So they decide to do a little bit of food learning uh, with Francine and Muffy. They spend their money on some double dip peanut fudge. Which sounds pretty darn good. This plan's already in jeopardy because <laughs> I would, if they did this to me, I don't think I would be able to have the self-control not to eat it. It sounds so good. I'm 26 and I couldn't do this <laughs> with having the proper attention. They so they try to do some uh, div- division problems in terms of you know they are 30, which ends up being a bit of a problem. There are 20 pieces that Francie says there are 20 pieces. If they're dividing them between two of them, obviously each of them gets 10. Then Francine says, how would we divide it between the three of us, me, you, and Muffy? And then immediately I'm just like, you, you can't. You would, need to, you would need to cut at least two of them into thirds because 20 doesn't divide into three. Okay. See, this is – I wish I did this math beforehand. Well, see, well, see I'll, I'll kind of take you through it. It's like they would each get six. No. Uh, see, I, I, again, oh, I'm so unprepared. I was, oh, okay, so, I, where's okay. my calculator? Okay. Oh, no, I'm having flashbacks. Well, they would, each get, oh. they would each get six because three times six is 18. Then they would have two left over, and then they would have to split each of the – both of those into thirds so that they would each get an equal. So they would get – Six point three 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 three. They would get six and two thirds. Oh wait! Oh, 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 let's move on. My head's starting to hurt. I'm all I'm, feel a lot all I'm, all I'm saying is, Lucas, you can't divide twenty into three, because because I'm so I'm sorry, but it's like it goes five times three is fifteen, then eighteen, and then twenty one. Twenty doesn't go into three. That's all I'm saying, and then we can move on. I'm saying that Buster was. Defeated before he started. This <laughs> okay. was a bad idea. So then, of course, Buster starts eating his own the own the stash to try and make it more equal, which not a bad idea. All he has to do is eat an extra two. But then, of course, that's unfair. Anyway, moving on from the math, Muffy decides it's time to take drastic. And uh, Binky, his solution is to read him some American history while he's tied up to a tree. But see, the problem is, is that Binky puts on the type of those type of fake glasses where it's like your eyes look like you're, they're open all the time, and it's like, well, really, or no, I'm I'm sorry, I think I got that wrong actually, because I originally thought, well, why did Binky put those eyeglasses on him? And I think it's that Buster had those in his back pocket and he snuck them on his face so he could fall asleep. Binky's not the only one who can use those cheap magician magician tricks uh, to try and get one over Binky was trying to use them for warfare last episode. Mm-hmm. This episode, Buster's trying to get out of reading by and, using some novelty eyeglasses. And speaking of conjurers of cheap tricks, Buster, with a little bit of a cheating montage, uh, a, a short one, he solves a math problem with the use of a calculator, and then he answers a question that Arthur gives him by looking at a map that is clearly down. That's right. We give it a callback to the 50 states uh, line. Well, where- my Well, my question is, 
my question is, what is this question? Because the answer to the question is Colorado, Utah, Nevada, and California. I think he was just naming all 50 states, and we, we see the action at the end of the naming process. So I think it was the same. It was a callback to earlier in the episode where he says, I can't name any of the 30 states. Muffy says, of course, actually, there's 50. And so I think what we see is the tail end of Buster successfully naming all 50 states. Hmm. He was just looking at a map of the United all right. States. All right, I buy that. Naming all 50 states, I guess we're Canadians, so it doesn't really count. But it's very difficult. I can't do it. I don't even know where the 50 states are. <laughs> I, I mean, I can name the big ones, but once we start getting into... I know New York's in the Northeast, and that's it. California's in the West. Sure, I go. guess so. So then Buster kind of resigns to it, like he's he's going to fail. And his friends kind of do too. They're out of options, and they don't know what else to do. Buster's so defeated, when they're at the Sugar Bowl, he lets out this exasperated sigh and then knocks over three milkshakes. Or like, they look more like orange sodas, but yeah, whatever they were meant to be, tall drinks of whatever. Regardless, he doesn't offer to pay for them. Come on, guys. <laughs> That's like a lot of money for when you're eight years old, your friend... Purposely shoves his head, he headbutts the table, knocks over three milkshakes. <laughs> I know you're upset, Buster, but that's just needless. Well, it could have been that those were his three. That's true. Hey, trying to drink the pain away. I hear you, Buster. <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> Resigned to his fate, Arthur says, Just remember, Buster, I'll always be your friend, even when the other fourth graders are picking on you. Like, really, really doomsaying his future. Like, not really giving him too much credit, but, to I mean, in their defense, they tried everything, and it didn't work. And then Arthur said, like, Arthur kind of ominously leaving it at, I'm sure gonna miss you. So long. Binky is slowly becoming my uh, a favorite character that I didn't really appreciate when I watched the show as a kid, because I never realized how much depth the writers really give Binky. Every time we see him, we learn a little bit more about him, and it's always fun, but, like... He's got so many layers. Like, the writers make fun of Binky because he's supposed to be dumb, mm-hmm. but he's complicated. And Binky's got a great line here. He goes, third grade's a lot easier the second time around, or the third. So he's trying to help Buster, but he's still kind of showing that does, he's a little does, dense himself. Well there's, not, well, there's not much help to be had, I think, <laughs> is the problem. So then Buster gets his own image of himself at 41, which, oddly enough, syncs up to Arthur's image of Buster at 41. So they're best friends for a reason, I guess. So Buster taken into the principal's office, and it's Principal Arthur. Um, what a twist! Uh, yeah, uh, still keeping Ratburn on the payroll, so he knows he knows he knows good talent when he sees it. So uh, Arthur calls him in. Buster thinks it's because he can move on to the fourth grade at last, but no, it's he's going to be sending him to where he can nap and play all day preschool. And then imaginary Buster breaks down and says. I know I can do it. I know I can. And then that's the motivation Buster needs to say, I know I can. And so he gets down to business. And it's a montage of Buster shirking play and eating snacks and using it all to his benefit to study as best he can. It's so. almost like an addict reaching rock bottom. Mm-hmm. This this fantasy of Buster's is sort of his lowest point in the episode. Yeah. Literally on his hands and knees begging this adult Arthur Give me another chance. I don't want to go back to preschool. Yeah. And this is the motivation Buster needed, the kick in the butt, to use uh, some uncouth language, to get him into gear. And so it seems that the three subjects that uh, are um, part of this test are math, literature, and American history. So he's trying to go over all of them 
through like memorization and like sample problems and everything. Mr. Ratburn said it's a test covering the entire year's curriculum. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know what part of the year this is supposed to take place. If this is like some sort of midterm or if this is near the end of the school year and it's like a wide swath. Could be. Like if we went into the whole timeline of how everything in Arthur takes place in the third grade, our heads would be spinning. So not worth thinking about for too long. So Ratburn's handing them back. His friends don't really think much will happen. Uh, as as he says, Ratburn's comments, good, not bad, illegible. Uh, and then Buster, who needed a B to pass, makes it by with a B plus. So he does indeed make the grade. But Arthur, not so much. Arthur needs to work on his division. Perhaps Buster can give him a few pointers. Oh, how the turntables. Before this episode ends, uh, when Buster Buster sort of, sort of has another montage, kind of the opposite of the earlier montage where he's cheating to get out of work, this montage of, is all of all his studying techniques, which are actually pretty humorous. He uses some sky, kind of Rube Goldberg OK Go machine to stay <laughs> awake. Yeah, the, yeah the, 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 the weighted contraption with the rubber duck full of water to keep him awake. Uh, Use, uses like the skittles to uh, do division problems, which he uses that knowledge later in the montage, where he excitedly exclaims on the same, on the very same park bench, in which he said he was going to fail, though he was going to be held back and won't enter the fourth grade. He exclaims, nine times nine is, is eighty one, and this is how I learned that nine times nine was eighty one. That was me too. That was that was the exact cadence of which I remembered in my head. It's like how I remembered eight times eight is Nintendo sixty four. Oh, I never heard that, but I'm gonna keep that. In that that, that was that was that was straight from my mom. Just like how am I ever gonna remember eight times eight? She's like <laughs> eight times eight Nintendo sixty four. I'm like thanks, mom. That really works. So there you go. It's Buster makes the grade, and indeed he does. So what did you think of the two episodes that we had? I liked them. The first episode, uh, I was a little indifferent to. It's a solid episode, but I didn't really have any emotional response to it, neither here nor there. The second episode might be a front runner for one of my favorites so far because I think it tackles a subject very near and dear to my heart. Mm -hmm. Uh, I really empathize with Buster and see myself in Buster's position here. I had a tutor when I, up to when I was in high school for math. I had a lot of troubles having dyslexia. It affected my math, and it affected a lot of my schoolwork. And I don't think I was ever diagnosed with ADD, but I did have trouble paying attention and study similarly to the trouble that Buster experienced. So mm. uh, I really enjoyed this episode. I think it tackled these subjects, these kind of complicated subjects of having trouble in school and people needing to learn differently and work hard in different ways. You know, some people are more tactile learners. Some people are more visual learners. And I think it handled that subject matter really, really well. Not making Buster seem like a dummy, just making him seem like a kid that had difficulty learning the way everybody else did and had yeah. to learn a different way. I, I love this episode. Cool. Well, I'm glad. Um, I will agree with you on the second one. I really think that uh, – Buster Makes It Great is, again, very strong. Uh, We've had good luck with Buster-centric episodes. Um, I also really like it, and I think you make some awesome points for why it's, you know, one of the better ones that we've seen so far. And, you know, the only thing I'd add is that I think the animation in that episode is really, really good, and I really enjoyed watching it. And uh, I thought the humor was on point. Uh, Arthur Goes to Camp is another one of those ones where you can tell by the animation, I feel like that was one of the ones that was probably made I'm going to say earlier in production because it kind of looks the same as a couple of other ones that we've covered and ones that we will cover in the first season. Uh, not the greatest to look at. And also, I, I I don't really care for it. Like, it's 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 like like really uh, this 
I don't want to. I don't want to speak too soon. But as far so far, when the show is at its worst, it's still harmless. Like it's there's nothing bad about it. But it's just like I don't think I would ever want to watch this episode again necessarily. Yeah, Arthur goes to camp. It's very bland. There's some bright spots. I think the montage at the end of the actual scavenger hunts fun. Yeah. Uh, I think the animation of them crawling around in the tent is the one bright spot of animation in that episode. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's a funny visual, uh, and I think. There's some cute lines from the enemy camp, Camp Horsewater. There's some cartoonishly evil 8- to 10-year-olds. But besides that... I agree with you. It kind of just washed over me. Yeah, me too. It's it, like like I like I said, no, not really one I would want to revisit. But Buster makes the grade absolutely. I would put that on the high end of the episodes we've watched so far this season. Now I don't know about the way you watch this video. I'm sure absolutely legally, but <laughs> yep. in the video I was watching, there was a little behind the scenes of Arthur bit at the end, and I'm not sure if this was something that was specific to this episode. I think I did. I think I did too, and that seemed like a newer kind of tack on to maybe like a PBS repeat. Of I'm it. really like going into the dark reaches of my brain here to try and remember this, but I think it might have been like it was like a bumper in between shows. So. It was like no it was. It was just like do you want to see how we make how we make an Arthur episode or something. But it was interesting. Like I forgot that these early episodes of Arthur and of course in later later seasons they're going to forgo this process, but the backgrounds are all hand painted, mm-hmm. which is kind of a lost art in a lot of animations because it's so intensive and arduous and expensive compared to just using, you know, flash cells or or computer generated imagery. These hand-painted backgrounds are actually, it's really fascinating to see them painting it. It's kind of a lost art in for, animation. For sure. And I, and I want to I note that even when I say you know, I'm a bit critical of the animation, you know, I'm not saying, like, oh, I could do it better or, like, you know, this is complete crap or anything. Like, it's not, again, when I say Arthur and I don't like an episode, it's at worst harmless. The animation is never, like, ugly or, like, horrible. It's just kind of not what I prefer looking at, personally. Yeah, totally and, valid. Yeah, and I don't want to ever dismiss, because, of course, as you said, this is hand, hand-drawn, hand which is a bit of a lost art these days, and uh, uh, definitely don't want to discount anybody's efforts in making this show. So, good reminder. Well, next episode is one that I've been waiting for for a long time, or at least the first one is, because this is where we get a, an important character of the show finally fleshed out and given the origin stories proper. It is Arthur's new puppy, followed by Arthur Bounces Back. So, it is the episode, the beginning of Pal in Arthur's life. Here we go. I'm excited. I had the book of this one. Did you? This is the first one where I had the, and it wasn't one of the novels. It wasn't. Like oh, it was like novels. it was like one of the chapter books. It was one of the picture books. Yeah. Okay. So. Oh, okay. I, I see. I see. Yeah, yeah. So, sorry, not one of the chapter books. One of the, the, the shorter picture books for a younger audience. Sure. So I'm excited. So, study up for Arthur's new puppy and Arthur bounces back. The next episode of Elwood City Limits. Thanks a lot for joining us, uh, Lucas. Anything left to say? We're number one. Yeah, yeah. We're number one. Yeah, yeah. For Lucas Mancini, I'm Will Young. Thank you for listening to Elwood City Limits. No matter how you did it, we appreciate it. Until next time. <laughs>